0: Hello, and welcome to RD and the In-Betweens. I'm your host, Kelly Preece, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. My name is Larissa, my pronouns are she, her, Um, and over the past two years, just up to two weeks ago, um, I had the joy and privilege of being national president at NUS, which is the National Union of Students, um, representing the seven million students across further and higher education. Prior to that, I've kind of been in the anti-racist space around education um, for practically my um, kind of entire um, university life and uh, college life too. Um, and now kind of with all of that under my belt, I'm continuing to do stuff around uh, anti-racism in education, decolonisation and so on, um, because this is, yeah, it's really my bread and butter um, in activism, even though I work in a lot of different spaces, like climate justice and so on, now um, kind of decolonising education is, is for me at the core of, of the work. So, I'm going to share my screen. We can jump into it. Um, but please feel free to, to stop me along the way, to write in the chat, to ask questions, because I want to make it really clear that, um, you know, even though this is stuff that I've, I've been doing for a while, I am no kind of authority. Um, you know, I'm just a, a Black student who was sick and tired of being sick and tired um, and, uh, and kind of launched into this work in that sense. So, please do contribute as and when you see fit. So, as it says on the screen, this session is entitled Reimagining Undergraduate Research Student Agency Through a Decolonial Lens, and the reason um, that, you know, I really wanted to explore student agency as an important part of this is because of, of the system that we are navigating now because we see the ways that the the marketized university kind of quells student agency, the ways that it diminishes students' capacity to be seen beyond individualist consumers of knowledge. Uh, And by extension, we have to think about how that impacts students' capacity or even orientation towards research, towards research that captures decolonial knowledges, um, that is bringing the subaltern into play um and so i really wanted to explore that um in this talk today so you know i think um ahead of, of really getting into the meat of it, i also want to say that if i'm making speaking statements about um kind of the, the system as it is this really isn't to invisibilize the, the incredible efforts that are happening on the ground um by individuals who are seeking to undo coloniality in education but it's to recognize that they are often jumping through endless bureaucratic hoops in order to make this possible. And so even if they do make it, and and even if they do uh, kind of disrupt uh, the, the academy in those ways, it's in spite of our institutions, not because of them. So with that in mind, thinking about the marketized university as a colonial export, I think is a really important starting point for recognizing how we got here, how we got to a position where, um, you know, undergraduate research and particularly undergraduate research that is calling on decolonial knowledge um, is so few and far between, uh, but also kind of the the levels of passivity that we have in our education system. Um, So I started this to, to kind of, uh, emphasize uh, through the title, through from the from the off, that reimagining undergraduate research and student agency through a decolonial lens is not about harking back to the kind of good old days that we often hear about in the education system and in higher education in particular. You know, it's not about reinventing these the kind of romanticized era of the early sixties through to the nineties where you know education was free at the point of use, and so. You supposedly had this point where education was this beacon of possibility and an incredible um you know feat that it was to have free education and although um you know i absolutely do see free education as um a, a core part of and a core principle of uh, kind of reimagined education i think we also have to be honest about the fact that that's free education at the point of use for uh, students in the UK uh, was reliant even then on differential international student fees but it was also relying on uh, kind of the supremacy of the British education system it was relying on uh, you know as I say this uh, education as a colonial export Uh, because students around the world had been sold the story of a superior British education system. Uh, You know, for for myself, I come from Jamaica, uh, Barbados and St Vincent uh, of West Indian heritage. um, And from early days, it is taught to children and young people, but also to their parents, that the British education system is that which should be coveted. Uh, And as such, there was always baked into this system an understanding that even when we had free education for students in the UK, that this was going to be subsidized by the kind of colonial export of uh, HE in the UK. And so this kind of historic fact paved the way for where we are now, uh, paved the way for students being positioned as passive consumers in the the kind of 21st century marketized university. Um, And, you know, this it also paved the way for this construct that the purpose of education as the kind of (laughs) I mean, the wind is just doing a lot here, sorry, and um, it paved the way for the way that you know the, the construct of uh, the former Education Secretary Gavin Williamson uh, often said that the, the purpose of education is uh, to lead people to a fulfilling working life, emphasis on working there. Um, it, it, removed us from this idea that education is a tool of liberation, it removed us from the idea that education um, can be this, uh, you know, opportunity to fulfill purpose to fulfill, uh, you know, joy, even all of this was extracted, such that education from this point, we're talking about, you know, decades and decades before the imposition of home student fees. um, You know, we were always on the journey to um, ensuring that you know, market, the marketized university, be that for international students or for all of us, uh, could be a colonial export. And so I think it's important to see that from the very beginning, such so, so we understand how we got to where we are. And then that begs the question, how does this impact the status of an undergraduate students? How does that inform undergrad teaching, learning and research? because you know, we, we've seen kind of the, the recent criticisms over the past decade or so around the kind of false neutrality of knowledge that we receive uh, around kind of the, the role of, of decolonization or prior to those campaigns, we often heard of the why is my curriculum white campaigns um, which were you know, encouraging us uh, to be critical and so on of the knowledge that we receive. But what we rarely see um, is students positioned as actors in informing, you know, uh, this status quo or reshaping or transforming this status quo rather. It's about, okay, receiving the knowledge that, you know, that that there's an issue here, not being the people um, that are given the agency to do something about it. Um, And and again, I think it's important to look backwards about how we got here, why this is the case. Um, And and fundamentally, this is as true throughout our education system as it is in higher education. If you look at schools uh, and colleges, this rings true. Um, And, you know, I was speaking to uh, kind of anti-racist educator Jeffrey Boratcha recently, um, and he describes it by saying that activism is not on the curriculum, meaning that politically kids are being reared to stay still. And so what is it about the kind of transience of the student population uh, kind of juxtaposed with uh, this stagnance uh, that is being taught to us um, this kind of disempowering dampening of our impulses to make change and what is it about that that kind of informs the way that undergraduates in particular um, are approaching their own teaching learning and research Because I think when you see the kind of rupturous reaction to the likes of students at Pimlico Academy uh, resisting Islamophobic and anti-Black policies, uh, when you see kind of rupturous reaction to uh, the climate strikes that students are leading in schools, it's this kind of inclination to inaction uh, and then the kind of shock horror um, approach to, to student agency being exercised those teach a lesson too right they teach students they teach young people and um, that for you to act against your education system for you to speak up against your education system is unexpected uh, and will face backlash and again if we go further back you know this in the same way that we know that this schooling model um was built on the kind of victorian model of, of um, education which was essentially trying to export. Um, you know, factory workers. We also know that the university system was built in the image of the Sorbonne system, the master's model of education, which was predicated on the idea that those who hold power know best what should be taught and how it should be taught. So where does agency sit within that? Because day in, day out, that passivity has been communicated to us structurally through schools, through colleges, through higher education and so on. So this ultimately kind of yields the systemic erasure of of black knowledge and forms of knowledge production, I would argue, and particularly so undergraduate level where there is far less capacity to shape your own journey. Um, And where, you know, when I I do these workshops with students, when I talk to students across the country, they're often talking about kind of trying to, to make their education more pliable, trying to twist and shape and like, you know form blackness into play rather than it being possible to exist in tandem with the current education system uh, and so i wanted to speak slightly here about okay if we begin thinking about what does reimagination look like if we, if we start to use that as a, as a um, jumping point from which we can uh, think anew. How do we reckon with this kind of hypervisibility and invisibility of Black students that often comes up in that sense? You know, invisibility in the sense of Black knowledges being um, disregarded and delegitimized by the academy, but hypervisibility in that whenever students do bring um, those kind of, whether it's lived experiences or uh, kind of Black knowledges, and this isn't just Black students, but bringing Black knowledges and Black studies into play, there is often a kind of, uh, you know, hyper visibility in the sense of a, um, a magnifying glass on these students and on their work, um, you know, which we often see in reports uh, regarding the back attainment gap and so on, um, which of course is a, is a kind of symptom of this broader structural issue. And, and then, you know, to add to that hypervisibility, it's not just about how it's perceived within the academy, we also see the kind of sensi- sensationalised reports of anti-racist efforts happening within our universities. I'm sure I don't need to tell those in, the, in, in this space about the kind of Daily Mail reports and so on about uh, kind of removal of the Queen and, and we're talking about of colleges and and universities that um, have taken very simple actions which are being blown out of proportion um, for sensationalist headlines. Um, I think in addition to talking about that reality for Black students and, and for Black knowledges, it's also important to see how this systemic erasure is kind of propped up by the fact that this is operating in tandem with the exploitation of Black people and people of colour within the academy too. Uh, you know I often talk about the fact that if you put every single, if you kind of in a, in a graph or, or on paper, uh, put down every single person uh, demographically that's, that's working in the university, um, you would almost get a kind of pyramid structure with uh, the number of black and brown folks um, in uh, maintenance roles uh, be that cleaning or otherwise uh, being kind of uh, overwhelmingly disproportionate um, and then you see that that the numbers of uh, black and brown folks um, in roles uh, you know first of all uh, your early careers academics uh, you have far more than you do in terms of uh, your, your professors and lecturers and, and, and senior management, of course, we know, um, is historically very white and middle class. So this isn't happening in isolation. Um, and so it's important to see how the systemic erasure is enabled by uh, that kind of structural erasure of black people um, and black bodies. So we're often then told off the back of that, that it's gonna take time to diversify the academy. We're kind of expected to wait the number of generations that will take um, for black folks to work their way up. You know, this um, myth of meritocracy and so on feeding into this idea that, um, you know, in order to enable the research of black knowledge we have to wait for more black folks to come up to be interested in it at school, you the process continues. But for me, this this begs the question, what if students were empowered to redefine the academy now, rather than continuing to absorb knowledges um, that have been kind of extracted from the canon? Um, What if the spaces of education that we have today were kind of propelling this action uh, and, and seeing students as agents of this change, rather than passive consumers of things as they are? And so that obviously requires a kind of considerable shift from our our present education system to some kind of reimagined future one. Because at present undergraduate research is an extension of the academy that exists within, you know, if if things are, um, if opportunities for research that outside of core course content, often they are inaccessible to marginalised students if those opportunities aren't funded, um, you know, if uh, you know those opportunities aren't um, accessible for other reasons, such as even levels of publicity and, and people's awareness of them, uh, which often comes with levels of cultural and social capital. Um, there are so many reasons, endless reasons, be that kind of that students disproportionately having. Uh, caring responsibilities and so on, the, the list is endless, um, to why these things aren't always possible. But how do we bring that future lens into play? How do we think of both the practical, interim opportunities that we can uh, can uh, pursue to reimagine uh, undergraduate research within the present education system, uh, on the way to on the path to a reimagined um, education, which of course would have this at the core, um, then you know, that's what we can start to think about. So I don't know if folks have any thoughts about what um those steps might be feel free to put things in the chat or to just have a think about them yourself um but what i'm gonna do now is is take us on to, to talk a little bit about decolonial theory and how that applies to undergraduate research um and, and then talk a bit more about what that reimagination looks like practically so i often go back to poker lane of decolonisation and these five stages, which I feel are really useful. Um, the third of which is, is in bold because it's perhaps my favourite, but it's also important to note that Lane Wee refers to these processes as, as, as necessitating a kind of iterative process of, of them all in tandem. Um, and yeah, I'll just speak a little bit to uh, what these are at the moment. So the first of these stages is rediscovery and recovery. The idea that there is so much uh, to unlock when it comes to forms of, of knowledge and knowledge production that has been lost by the processes of, of colo- colonialism and imperialism—that um, this in itself is a necessary process to go through. Um, you know, we have to. Uh, begin to unlock things that, you know, that we don't know that we don't know um, that we have to kind of uh, utilize funding and kind of an, an orientation and inclination towards um, uncovering these knowledges um, and that has to be done with intention um, so that's rediscovery and recovery. Then the second stage of this is about mourning and it's about recognising that there are some things that are lost that cannot be recovered, that there are some things um, that have been erased that that cannot be undone and that to reckon with that is um, a very emotionally taxing thing, particularly so for those um, who have lived experience of uh, colonial violence or uh, racist violence. The third process, as I say, is my favourite and that's about dreaming. It's about, you know, recognising that even the barriers of what we think when we are outside the box, when we are pushing the boundaries of this um, and thinking really imaginatively, even that is so tied to where we are at present. And to dream, to really think beyond the bounds with no limits, with no... Kind of logic, as I said at the beginning, uh, and kind of prior to the recording for folks, which and after we did a bit of a free writing exercise just to start tapping into our capacity to dream. Um, and, and I think that this is so, so important because um, as soon as we become bogged down in the kind of what is possible, what is considered impossible, uh, you know, that's when we start to lose possibilities here. Um, And so I think it's really, really important to um, dwell on dreaming as a process. And so I'm going to go into that in a bit more detail in a second. The fourth stage in these processes is around commitment. Um, How do you build that groundswell of community support? Um, How do you kind of tap into, um, you know, the people powered energy that you need uh, to move these processes forward? Um, And often in practice this looks like things like solidarity between students unions, trade unions, those organizing on the ground, community-led initiatives and so on, Um, but this could be even more to And then the fifth and final stage is action. Um, You know, I love this one because it's simple. It is what it says on the tin. It's about how do we um, kind of put in place transformative action that is ready um, to reckon with the fact that the education system that we have today is the very product of colonialism, imperialism, displacement, enslavement, and racial violence, and that without transformative action um you know if we keep tinkering at the edges it's not just it's just not going to cut it so to talk about dreaming in a bit more detail um you know i think there are a number of things that we can begin to tap into uh, when it comes to reimagining undergraduate students agency and dreaming of an education that is built, not bought, that is shared, not sold. Dreaming of an education that is kind of free from the exploitation and, and empowering in the quest for liberation. Uh, and the kind of starting point in this, and these literally these kind of ideas are just a starting point because as I say, this dreaming process has to be collective. But, but where it seems to start for me is about tapping into uh, kind of decolonial knowledges. Uh, and I'll start on the screen there. I've mentioned uh, Fred Moten's kind of concept around blackness in the academy is fugitivity. What I really love about this concept is that um, it, it recognizes that the existence of black people in the academy as it is can only be one of theft, right? It can only be one of trying to extract what you can in service of community um, in a way that isn't permitted by the education system but what if we move this from fugitivity to function uh, in terms of meaning that this would be the the norm and not the exception um, by being able to move into a kind of reimagined university where we are centering community in research where we are centering uh, kind of the uh, solidarity between students and staff and community um, in building what needs to be researched in, in, in kind of actioning that practical recovery, rediscovery and so on. I think that would be the kind of uh, one basis of a reimagined um, university for me, uh, because I feel like the way that that would shape undergraduate student agency in being able to tap into the things that really, really matter to them and to their communities, um, and being able to use that as a, a kind of a springboard for even thinking about research would be incredibly transformative. We'd love to know what you think about that in the chat. Um, and in, uh, again, in terms of decolonial knowledges, I think uh, a second piece of this is about centering the Western academy and carving out space to do things differently. Uh, and by that, I, I'm not only talking about um, kind of research uh, um, at a postgrad and, uh, and staff level. Um, but I'm also talking about how do we um, begin to see intergenerational knowledges as important um, as is kind of aligned with the African tradition? How do we start to um, see Indigenous knowledges um, or, or, or stop the, the kind of uh, process by which the academy delegitimizes Indigenous knowledges? Um, and and use that to start propelling um, an agency towards tapping into things that haven't yet been done um, in the West or haven't yet been accepted in the West. And then kind of thinking about decolonial pedagogy as well. I think this for me is about changing the how in order to transform the what, Um, because at the moment we have, As I say, an education system built from this master's model that says you should learn this, you should be taught in this way about this. Um, and if we begin to decenter authority in the classroom, making space for people to bring their whole selves into um, a- an education setting, and not just doing this at higher education, but doing this from far earlier on, um, I think we have the opportunity to unlock different ideas, different things, even beyond our imagination, because of the way that we're engaging with knowledge. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And to be honest, I could talk about decolonial pedagogy all day but I'm just touching on it here because I think it is absolutely core to unlock an undergraduate students agency. And then ultimately, um, you know, this is about building decolonial spaces for knowledge and and I say spaces rather than institutions because perhaps the reimagined university isn't an institution in the sense that we know today Um, but really if we are talking about democratizing education and not just um for one set of students but in a kind of universal sense if we're talking about democratizing universities and and um kind of giving some, some forms of agency to students to set the agenda, to uh, talk about the knowledges that connect with and impact their communities and so on. And if we're talking about decolonizing um, institutions um, and you know thinking differently about knowledge, about pedagogy, about all of this, the kind of structural exploitation of, of black folks, of, of um, uh, you know, the global south and so on, this is how we begin to build anew. But it also yields towards the kind of abolition of the university as we know it, right? Because um, the... The university, the institution that we know today, um, as I say, is the product of all of these forms of colonialism, imperialism, and so on. If we are to extract and take out and um, undo and dismantle all of these kind of real forms of how racism is sewn into the fabric of the academy, ultimately, this is about the abolition of the university. And for me, the, the most important thing to note here is how do we connect students and their agency in this process? What would the abolition of the university mean for students? What would it mean for students in relation to staff and community? What would that demarketised, democratised, decolonized education actually look like? And how could our spaces of education construct student agency as central? rather than kind of the, the kind of marginal considerations of our education. So this really is about positing students as creators, positing students as architects, not as passive consumers, um, building spaces both within and beyond the academy to start answering these questions. Um, and this has been kind of some of the journey that um, under my time uh, as NUS president that we were on. Uh, We had uh, something called a student strike where uh, we had students walk out of their educational settings and come to this imaginative space where we were hosting sessions uh, and students themselves were hosting sessions um, about kind of this presence, not absence, about building life-affirming institutions in the world As uh, of Ruth Wilson Gilmore, with Ruth Wilson Gilmore Girls being one of my favourite Instagram and Twitter accounts. But I do think there is great capacity um, to think differently about what does it mean to be a student to reconstruct who is seen as a student because um, you know ultimately all of us are potential students in the communities um, that we're in um, and to kind of Almost weaponize um, weaponize the uh, position that students have for good uh, to talk about the fact that the university would not run without students, without um, staff, without community fueling into and, and um, funneling into these spaces um, and using that uh, to leverage a capacity for students to be agents of change in reshaping and reimagining the university. So I was hoping to pause at this point to see if there were any questions, contributions, thoughts, reflections um, on any of that so far. Um, But yeah, I mean, I hope that was helpful as a uh, kind of starting point for these discussions. As I say, I don't want to position myself as any kind of um, authority on this, um, but rather just kind of a, a black student and a black undergrad um, who wants to, um, you know, be in community with others who are seeking to reimagine uh, the university and to reimagine undergrad student research within that. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development, and everything in between.